Good evening. It is 7.30, so we will begin. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Holy Mary, our hope, Mother of the Church, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and Son of the Holy Spirit, Amen. So welcome once again to our courses on Christian social doctrine for our fall semester. Tonight's topic is Christian anthropology. So anthropology coming from the Greek anthropos, meaning human, right? Logi, study of. So the study of the human person and its activity. So what is the Christian understanding of the human person? That's why we use the phrase anthropology. Now again, we preface this with what is divine law? What is conscience? Right? So what are we bound to as eternal truth and revelation? Conscience, how we understand and choose the good. Sin and its effects when we falter in that. And now we come to the human person because all of, right, right, these things are perceived within the human person, right? Dogs do not perceive the divine, I mean, they do perceive the divine law, but in a very basic way. Trees in a very basic way. Human beings are the ones who can meditate. So divine law is fundamentally meant for human beings. Now, I'd like to start off reading the full quotation. If you've at Sunday Mass, you've heard me say the first sentence of this quotation. But this is the full quotation from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph one. If I can, I didn't bookmark it, so it's a little tricky. Paragraph one reads thusly God, infinitely perfect and blessed in himself, in a plan of sheer goodness, freely created man to make him share in his own blessed life. You've heard that at Mass, right? For this reason, at every time and in every place, God draws close to man. He calls man to seek him, to know him, to love him with all his strength. He calls together all, scattered and divided by sin, into the unity of his family, the church. To accomplish this, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son as Redeemer and Savior. In his Son and through him, he invites men to become in the Holy Spirit his adopted children, and thus heirs of his blessed life. So I just submit to really anyone that if you want to have the real Christian vision of the human person in the world, Catechism, paragraph one is a good way to do that. If we wanted to memorize really anything from the catechism, paragraph one would be the, the good thing to do because in that it's, this is the origin of humanity. This is what went wrong with humanity. This is the destiny of humanity in simple. So it's a good rhythmic thing. Now, to look at the Christian view of the human person, we really have to start at the very beginning. So our scriptural source quotes are going to be from the book of Genesis. So we'll quote to you Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 
excuse me, verse 31, verse 26 through 31. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed which is upon the face of the earth, and every tree with its seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And so it was. God saw that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, a sixth day. Let's get some basics of Christian anthropology, all right? Human beings are in the image and likeness of God, and we'll talk about that. Human beings have, note, dominion. It sometimes says God gave dominion over the earth. That's imprecise. God gives dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, and all creeping things that creep upon the earth. All right, so we'll talk about that later when we do do Christian ecology. So they are creating the image and likeness of God. And their image and likeness of God is male and female. Sexual dichotomy, the two sexes. Side note, right? There is a difference between sex and gender. Again, we'll talk about that a little bit later in the session, but the two biological sexes are necessary to comprehend the image and likeness of God that is principally understood in fruitfulness, right? Here's a fun word, fecundity, all right? Something is fecund or fecund if it multiplies itself, all right? So if you have children, you are very fecund, all right? You can say that to your spouse later. Oh, you're looking very fecund tonight, etc. All right, no, it's, that's what it's, all right? But notice that, notice in the Revelation, Individually, we are the image and likeness of God, and complementary, we are the likeness. This is a very important thing. The way that that revelation is given, divine image created him, male and female created them. The uniqueness of every single human person and the radical need for relationship. That we are imago Dei in our own selves, but we cannot reduce it to our own selves. Does that make sense? So we're already... The nature of the human being as radically valued in their own person and radically needing relationship. And that relationship is fundamentally oriented towards fruitfulness. Now, the Christian revelation will elevate elevate that beyond mere biology, but it's important we hold those things at the heart of our anthropology. Utterly unique and infinitely valued in their own individual self, 
and simultaneously radically driven to community for the purpose of fruitfulness. Okay? Now, I'm going to move into chapter 2. Because chapter 2 is basically an expounding on the sixth day of creation. So, I'm going to do Genesis chapter 2, starting on verse 4 and going through verse 9. Genesis 2, verse 4 through 9. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused rain to fall upon the earth, and there was no man to till the ground, but a mist went up from the earth, and watered the whole face of the ground. Church fathers spilled endless amounts of ink on that passage. What does that mean? The mist that came up from the earth. Anyways, right? So a mist comes up, watered the face of the whole ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So, Made image, this is sort of a commentary, revelation, commenting on creation. This image and likeness of God is of the earth. We are connected and notice to the muck of the earth. The, the ground, right? That's part of the root of the word Adam, Adam, or the man is fundamentally tied to mud and dirt. They're very similar at the mud. This is not a language class, though, so we won't get lost in that. But God breathes into his nostrils the blessed of life and became a living soul. So this is how we understand being fundamentally imago Dei. We are not in the image and likeness of God necessarily because we look like God. Because God is pure spirit. But now God breathes the living soul into someone. The Lord God planted a garden in the Eden in the east, and there he put the man who he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So God is made from the ground, or man is made from the ground and put in relation to the ground. I'm not going to read the passage, but it's also in Genesis 2 where the creation of the woman is explicitly counted for. You know that God puts a deep sleep on the man, pulls the rib, and forms up out of it a woman. And that very beautiful phrase, when the man sees the woman. Also, as a side note, please note in Revelation... They don't receive proper names. Namely, the woman does not receive a proper name until after the sin. Before the sin, they are the man and the woman. And he says, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Right? This is the one who is not be but is me. When our Lord is talking later, in the, when our Lord is on the earth many thousands of years later, of course... When he's talking about marriage, he references this. In the beginning, it was not so. Therefore, 
right? Man leaves his father, said that clings to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they're no longer two but one, etc. So, in the Christian anthropology, these become foundational understandings that the human person, a human being, is, to give a technical quotation, a rational animal. It is clear that in Revelation, we are part of the created, we are not part of the angelic world, obviously, in creation. We know through our studies of biology, of course, that we have many, many, many things biologically in common with animals, namely mammals, also non-mammals, so on and so forth. We know this, right? So we are clearly tied to the earth. That cannot be questioned. But what is different is our making in the image of likeness of God is the breathing of the soul, right? Now, I'm not going to go into this because this is not a course on physics, and so on and so forth. That's why I have this website up here, all right? The Magis Center, M-A-G-I-S, you can't see it, M-A-G-I-S-Center.com. I really want to recommend it to you. Father Robert Spitzer, who has doctorates in theology, psychology, and physics, so a smarty kind of fellow, all right? Triple doctorate in very, right, alternately related disciplines, all right? extremely knowledgeable, was the president of Gonzaga University in the state of Washington for many, many years, um, has founded this center, which has a strong web presence, for a lot of questions about you see, science, reason, and faith, and has done unbelievable work on showing the evidence in biology and physics for the immaterial soul. Very, very fascinating things. We do not have time to go to do that here, but I just really want to recommend that resource to you. The Magis Center, so magiscenter.com. Really, really fascinating stuff. My goal for this period is to give us our, our own interior theological understanding. Does that make sense? But if you want to do a lot of apologetics on how you can understand or prove the existence of the soul outside of the catechetical context, right there, all right? Made it very accessible, videos, so you don't have to just like read sheets and sheets of computer screen, video slides, very accessible. So I'm not trying to excuse myself, I'm just saying, let's not get lost in, in that right now, okay? That's fair. I'm gonna go to the catechism to give some explanations. The catechism is very good on this point, right? This is part one of the Catechism, paragraph six, starting on paragraph number 355. So if we're looking for the whole explanation, which we will not go into, but it's paragraphs 355 through 384. So if you want extensive Catechism reading on this topic, paragraph 355 to 384. And there are, it reiterates the four basic points, right? Humanity is in the image of God, in his own nature who unites spiritual and material worlds. He is male and female and is established in the friendship of God. Right? So human beings are unique in creation, in the image of God, male and female, and have a special friendship with God. Right? Those are the four essential points. So this is a very important quotation. Of all visible creatures, 
Only man is able to know and love his creator. He is the only creature on earth that God has willed for his own sake. Every human being is willed for their own sake. Humanity alone is called to share by knowledge and love in God's own life. So the rest of the world is created out of the love of God. But only the human person is created to know God as such and share in the very life of God. Being in the image of God, the human individual possesses the dignity of a person who is not just a something, right? That chair is a something, you are a someone. Everything that is made is an object. When a human being is created, they are a subject, right? They can act. They are capable of self-knowledge, self-possession, freely giving themselves and entering to communion with other persons, right? Friendship. This is the heart of the whole rational animal. The fundamental way we are created in the image and likeness of God is the Trinitarian self-understanding, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is, God knows that God is, God loves that God is. This is St. Augustine who came up with this, right? And this is how you are fundamentally a rational animal. You exist, right? But in your own self, you can know you exist, and you can reflect on your own existence. Thus, you have a Trinitarian reality in yourself. Dogs exist and know they exist, right? So let's make a little distinction between us and the animals on this point because there's a difference between rationality and intelligence. Animals can be very intelligent, right? Dolphins are the most intelligent animal. I think there are probably any number of dolphins who are more intelligent than some people we meet. Okay, fair enough, all right? That's not what we mean here, right? So rats can solve puzzles, monkeys can open, so on and so forth, right? So you can learn, animals can learn and know things. That's not what we're talking about. So we're not talking about being able to learn and know. We're talking about the ability to self-reflect, right? You can teach a dog to recognize a triangle. A dog cannot conceptualize the idea of triangle in its mind. You know how you can do this is you can have, right, an equilateral triangle or an isosceles triangle. If you don't remember this, they're just different shaped triangles, right? The dog cannot conceptually, the monkey cannot, right? It doesn't have the conception of triangle in its mind. If I show you an isosceles triangle or an equilateral triangle and I say, what is this? You'll say, A is a triangle and B is a triangle because you can have the concept of triangle in your mind. The dog, the dolphin, the monkey, whatever, who are, again, these are highly intelligent, not all, some dogs are dumb as stones, you've met those two, all right? Right? Cats cats are preternaturally assisted by demons to know things. That's a joke for all you cat lovers, all right? (laughs) (laughs) The joke, the joke. 
But they can, like if you show the dog the equilateral triangle, it can recognize it, but if you all of a sudden show it the isosceles triangle, it doesn't know what it is because it can't conceptualize triangle in its mind. This is, these are simple ways we can talk about self-reflection, right? That's why, right, dolphins and monkeys don't paint or create music. Why? Because they cannot conceptualize does that make sense what I'm trying to say? I give you the triangle thing because in simple conversational people, that's one of the easiest things to go about. You can go, that's where this kind of knowledge will help you really expand that. But the triangle thing is a great, if you're in a non-believing friend, a great beginning. Because they'll say things like, I know a lot of monkeys who are smart than a lot of people. Yes, probably, okay. But that's the fundamental difference. The ability to reflect upon ourselves. And what becomes essential for a Christian in deepening this anthropological understanding is on a fundamentally threefold level. Make sure I get the right thing. All right. <clears throat> okay. That in our self understanding, right? I am, I know that I am, and I can reflect, I can appreciate. As I grow in charity, I can love that I am. That's at the heart of the Lord's command. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Right? There's a self-reflective reality in that command that you have to learn how to love yourself. God wants your, your, your like psychological well-being. Right? So as we grow in the, the knowledge of our own selves, our deep, right? And we know this, we'll, we'll sort of, we know this in common language as the journey of self-discovery, right? That's a common phrase, right? It's a very it's a common thing, right? Young men today like to, you know, I'm, I'm going to go off into the, I'm going to grow a beard and not cut my hair and go off of the woods and find myself, right? Well, mostly you're going to find ticks, but whatever, we don't get it. That's a whole different thing, right? You're going to find your dad's bank account to pay for all the things while you go out into the woods, but, so, but that's a, if it reflects a reality. It is the journey to know myself, and then as I grow in my knowledge of myself to know the other, because one of the ways I get to know myself is to know the other. And it is fundamentally my journey of ultimate self-discovery in the communion with God. That is the goal of human existence. That's why no life, no matter how great or how small, can be insignificant. That's why, I mean, I'm not going to, you can go through the catechism on all this, all right? Man may not despise his bodily life, right? This is, again, this is important. The human body shares in the dignity of the image of God. That's an important phrase. The human body shares in the dignity of the image of God. It is a human body precisely because it is animated by a spiritual soul. This power that allows you to reflect on yourself, know your own self, that's your soul. That is your soul. Your conscience is part of your soul, right? Dogs don't have consciences. Monkeys don't have consciences. Dolphins don't have consciences. They have learned group behavior. We have consciences, so on and so forth. It is the whole human person that is intended to become in the body of Christ a temple in the Holy Spirit. Man, though made of body and soul, is a unity. Through his very bodily condition, he sums up in himself the elements of the material world. Isn't that he sums up, every human person sums up in themselves the element of the material world, right? 
the earthiness of your flesh, the wateriness of your blood and saliva, right? The wind of your breath, the fire of your beating heart. Generate, you have all of creation contained in a sense in within yourself. Through him, they are thus brought to the highest perfection and can raise their voice in praise freely to the Creator. For this reason, man may not despise his bodily life. Rather, he is obliged to regard his body as good, to hold and honor it since God has created it and will raise it up on the last day. So we want to emphasize two particular things. Your spiritual self and every human being's spiritual self allows it to reach out for the conceptual things. This is the heart of the word transcendent, right? So transcendent, something that's imminent is something I can grasp right here. Something that is transcendent is a little bit beyond my grasp. I can reach higher. And we can have transcendent values, right? So like... Patriotism is a transcendent. Show me, where can I get a glass of patriotism, right? You, you can't. It's a transcendent value. It's not an ultimately transcendent value because it's tied to the existence of nations, communities that will go away, but it is transcendent, etc. So these, lift, but they lift us up within ourselves. So the discovery, right? This is where healthy childhood formation comes in. A lot of healthy childhood formation is integrating our mind and our body. Do you remember being awkward in your body when you were a teenager? Remember that, right? You looked at yourself and didn't love yourself very much. You were gangly and disproportionate. You weren't able to control your hormones very well. A healthy person learns how to integrate that and grow through that. Now we know that in the natural world, because of, right, creation creates a fall. And so there are defects within that. There are obvious defects. Person's born blind. And so on. We don't need to go through all the maladies, but right there can be obvious. This is the high call to commune with other persons. So right, and that the Messiah incarnates as a human person, that the Messiah is a man born of a woman, that is fruitful relationship, that at the cross, the woman stand next to the man, right? Let's get to the anthropology of the cross. Jesus, Remember, on the cross, we don't depict him as such because it would be prurient. Jesus Christ was naked on the cross. Like, in the, right? like at the foot of the tree in the Garden of Eden. Naked and unashamed. And next to the man on the cross, Jesus turns to the Virgin Mary and says what? Woman, behold your son. See, that is first creation language. But there at the foot of the tree when the first man who says, this woman who you put with here, she made me do it. No, now it's the drawing close, woman. Right? Who's what? Flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. Right? At the end of Genesis chapter 2, it says, Adam called his wife Eve because she became the mother of all the living. 
So now it's the reversion. Instead of she's Mary, because she's the mother of the man, she's woman, because she's the mother of all those alive in Christ. All the living, if you will. This is a fundamental, right? Christian anthropology is therefore fundamentally rooted in a reflection on the human person in the light of the Redeemer. That we are bodies with souls that must understand ourselves in our particularity and in our community. And essential to that community is our existence as male and female. We know from the life of the Redeemer that human suffering is a part of this. We also know from the Redeemer's teachings that to go after those who are different than, other than, apparently less than, is the high calling of the Christian, right? The leper, the blind man, so on and so forth. Because humanity, a human being that has a suffering, that has a lack of its natural constitution, is a divine call to radical charity. I remember when John Paul II gave a talk and he said, he was talking about children with Down syndrome. He said, Down syndrome children exist to show humanity innocence. And if you know, that's exactly what, I mean, that's not the only thing, but that's one of the most beautiful things. They, they show innocent. When you hear Jesus say, unless you come like a child of God, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. When you meet a Down, especially if a Down syndrome child came from a home filled with love, that's pure, love-filled innocence that demands that humanity put away its vanity and its pride and its desire to exalt over the other and become like a little, so on and so forth, right? And there are hard things in that. My point is not to mystify hard things, right? But in our reflection on this, it's something we have to hold like, understanding ourselves in our bodiliness. I want us to grasp on this. My, we will address particular, because obviously bodiliness is very much assaulted in our own day. That is, a, that is one of the hot topics. And that is on the agenda. So if you have questions about transgenderism and so forth, we will cover that later. But let's, we want to root ourselves deeply in our bodiliness tied to the earth, deeply ensouled in our own self-reflection. And the thing I want to end with before I take questions is that high calling. If we have a functioning body and functioning mind, it is our duty before God, right? Not before other people, not human respect. It is our duty before God to take that as far as we can. We know people have different capacity, all right? Not everyone can do what Aaron Rodgers does athletically. Not everyone can do what Elon Musk does intellectually. They've, they've, right, okay, fine. But everyone can take what they have as far as they can. And in doing that is the knowledge of self, like it, that knowledge of self-discovery is the knowledge of God. And that obedience to the call, right? So then conscience obeying law within the human person 
is showing the image of God in the world to its highest value. Does that make sense? You show the image of God in the world to its highest value when we utterly bind our consciences to divine revelation. That's a fancy way of saying the greatest icons of humanity are the saints. They, we even had that in some of the prayers of the Mass, right? In the saints, you call humanity back to its original holiness, so on and so forth. That's something that's very beautiful. And it's good to reflect this, especially as we get older. And all of a sudden, our bodiliness is not so exciting. Right? When we were 25, it was awesome. <laughs> and then it starts to feel less awesome, and it starts to wear down. All right? When we start to get a little bit afraid because our minds don't function quite like they used to. That's also another, right? That's when all of a sudden our radical individuality hearkens us to a radical community. Does that make sense? Mark Twain said it nastily. We spend the first half of our existence ruining our parents' lives and the second half ruining our children's, right? That's a schmarmy way of saying, all right, we spend the first half of our lives in a certain sense on the radical journey of self-discovery and should really work hard to stay in community. And we spend the second half of our lives in the radical journey of community and should not lose self-discovery. All right. So I'll stop there because we're at time. I could get sermonetic. That's the growing danger. But I'll take any questions in general and particular. Great. You're all convinced you're not, you know more than dogs, yes? And monkeys and whatnot? Great. Uh, to go into the, again, I, I do want to encourage you to, to, that website has tremendous, tremendous materials that can be very, very helpful. The amount of writings on the reflections on the soul are absolutely tremendous. It's a little bit of heady reading, but if you want some very bright but heady reading on this topic, you can read uh, the author Blaise Pascal's Pensee. Do I pronounce that right, Marcus? Pensee. <laughs> it looks like pensees. That's what it looks like to a God-fearing English speaker. It means thoughts, right? But that's a tremendous... Pardon? Pensee, the thoughts, right? So that's an excellent meditation on the existence of, of the soul, all right? Yes, Molly. Can you repeat what you said earlier about the Trinitarian understanding, um, St. Augustine's? Right, so St. Augustine, St. Augustine as you like, uh, right? Father, Son, and Spirit is, God is, God knows God is, God loves that God is. Now, because God is infinite, that power is so infinite that they, this is the heart of it as three persons in the one reality. You and I are limited. That self-awareness is contained within ourself. God is infinite, so it replicates itself infinitely. So infinity is replication of infinity, which is not, dis, it's not different, but the, the second person. So that God is and knows that God is, so again, you are, you know that you are. Now you have the ability to self-reflect. I am, I know I am. 
And now I have the ability to know myself. Now again, God is infinite so that God can do that entirely within God's own self. We are limited, so we need things outside ourselves, right? We don't, in my self-reflection, I can't look at myself and create a total moral structure, a total philosophical structure, a total ethical structure, a total economic structure. Within my, I need... So part of our limitness is to show that we are radically dependent on other people. So our Trinitarian reality, God is, God knows God is, God loves that God is, that's the Holy Spirit, is infinite and self-contained. Right? Self-contained within infinity. I hope we all agree that you know you're not infinite, right? You understand that you, there was a time in existence when you were not. Okay. And that you were aware you were not born innately with the totality of human knowledge and experience, right? So we're born radically dependent. When we're born, we need others or we'll die. That's, a, that's an icon of our radical communitarian nature. But then as we grow within human community, and I'm prefacing, hopefully we're all understanding that the church understands the principal human community is the family, right? That's why, why, how do Catholic churches count their membership? They don't count it in people, they count it in families, even if you're a family of one. Because we're saying, you still exist in radical community. That's why someone like St. Benedict, when he's writing his rule for monasteries, says you have to come to a very high level of holiness before you can be a hermit and go live by yourself because of the radical communitarian nature of the individual. So that's reflected in our own existence that I must have someone just to physically survive. But I'm also radically dependent on other people for my psychological and intellectual formation, right? And that's trying to bind us in the radical. That's why Jesus Christ is born in a human family, to teach family life is meant to be redeemed. So in family life, your sins can be overcome, but you also have a high calling. So we know, we know that on the positive side, on the positive side, people tend to carry forth their positive family traits. On the negative side, people tend to carry forth their negative. Now, it's in the act, you become adult, right? Eventually, you can feed yourself, right? Your, your self-reflection does become individual. We call this in the Catholic world the age of reason. Say, okay, the age of reason is when a human child can start to make self-reflective distinctions. Like right now, little Cecilia is at an age where she, she can self-reflect but only a very elemental level. That's why what she mostly wants is graham crackers, right? This is also, why are baby creatures physically attractive? We call it cute. It's because mostly what they do is cry and poop. And so we need to have a way to be attracted to them. Because they're cute, right? Why are baby gorillas cute? So Daddy Grill won't just eat it and be like, all this thing does is poop and sleep. I don't need the work for this thing. No, it's attractive to me, so I do, right? That's on an, anim an animalistic... Oh, now, and again, I don't mean to be crass. Sadly, we know this happens in the human family. People disregard their children. That happens. That's not good. Morally or civilly, etc. Now, in the redemption, 
Human beings can overcome that. And sometimes beautifully and brilliantly, you are not defined by your family. Which is awesome, right? In the animal world, there's no escaping it. They are defined by their family and their community and their pack. That's just the way it is. If you're a small wolf, you're just screwed and going to die young. That's just it. That's not just it in the human family because we can have that self-reflection. Because when I have self-reflection, I eventually start to see outside myself. This big loaf that seems to be around mom all the time, who I need to exist because she has the material goods for me to eat and exist, also is like me. And I have to bind myself to I don't just have to live in some sort of ethereal terror, like a wolf pup or a gorilla, baby, what do they call baby gorillas? I don't know, baby gorillas, right? Who have to live basically in dread of their fathers, which is an icon in the human family, right? There is a positive matriarchy and a positive patriarchy. There's a negative matriarchy and a negative patriarchy, so on and so forth. These are iconic realities. In our own self, that's how we can perceive our self-reflection, right? That's why I can have a conversation with someone and gain an immense array of human knowledge that for me to just ponder. Imagine if every human being had to discover the wheel all by themselves. We wouldn't get anywhere, all right? If every human being had to figure of their own selves how to do multiplication, it would be a nightmare. Which is large, this is why. Right, animals don't really build civilizations. Ants come kind of close to building civilization, but even that is, is at a pretty low level. Because their ability to share communal knowledge is at a virtual zero. Because they can't self-reflect, they can't hold concepts in their mind. See what I'm getting at, right? This is an icon of how the human person individually, as well as community-wise, is in the image and likeness of God. Because God has all knowledge within God's own self. Now you don't, but you can get a lot of it within yourself very quickly. And by entering into the human community, you can get a whole vast array of knowledge and experience within yourself. Like, I know it seems tedious to study or whatever, but if you compare it widely speaking, you can learn a whole lot in a very small amount of time. And we collectively can share our knowledge with one another, unlike any other being in existence, because we all have the ability to self-reflect. And when we have a healthy self-reflection and incorporate the totality of human knowledge and share our own particular perspective on human knowledge, we can do that in a radically fast way, which makes us immensely powerful, which which is what we have done to the earth, right? We, We are masters of the universe. We have, un- we've frankly untethered ourselves from the earth. Even we are so vastly powerful. Fundamentally, because you're in the image and likeness of power, every human being has godlike power. Not powers of God as such, right? That's the saints. That's supernatural power. But you have godlike power within nature. All right, I'm getting, I'm getting far afield from your question. But that's that I am. That I know I am. Right? Because then within this integration, which is also bodily, right? Because when you're starting to love yourself, this is where healthy human development becomes so important. Because as you're starting to understand your body and your mind is starting to grow to its full capacity, right? Your average human being does not complete all of the neurological connections in their brain 
until the roughly ages 22 to 25, right? The youngest may be... Uh, people who are geniuses are people who have a high level of brain connection at an incredibly young age. So uh, genius-level intellect is a, is a genetic gift. You don't... You develop it like anyone else, but you don't earn it. You just have massive... But your average human being, not till they're 22 to 25, right? So that's the exact, right? It's the exact same time that you're still forming connections in your mind. You're basically, I mean, this is putting it in a simplistic way, you're learning how to be self-reflective. Again, some of you have little kids. How self-reflective is your nine-year-old? I mean, he is, but (coughs) not that much. But now as they're getting more and more, right? Why? 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 Right? You exactly. Why? Why? Then they start to connect concepts in their mind. Then they start to look at myself. What about my body? Right? I feel like my body is now for something other than myself. Right? Most kids don't conceptualize it that way. But why do high school boys get all tingly around high school girls? Right? Because their bodies are radically communitarian. The Virgin Mary was 14 or 15 years old when she had Jesus, because guess what? That's when human females can have babies. And until you radically master the world, having children as young as possible is radically important to the continuation of the species. We don't need to get into that whole thing. But my point is, your biology is now communitarianly self-reflected. It's meant for the other. So trying to have possession of that, trying to be the master of that, because like, God's self-reflection is not chaos, right? God's self-reflection does not expand outside of God's self. God's love expands out of God's self. Does that make sense? The Holy Spirit pours forth and creates. The Spirit hovers over the waters. God's self and knowledge of God's self, which leads to God's love of God's self, is what flows over the earth. So that's an icon for us. I have to integrate my self-understanding. I have to know what my bodily life is and what it's for. That's why I need someone to teach me what is sexuality. What it is that boys are different from girls. What it is that boys are the same as girls. Why is that? What's that for? What's the purpose of the essential difference? What are the ways we respect the essential difference? What are the ways we elevate the essential differences? If we don't have control of those differences, what are the guards we put up to keep it from completely going nuts, right? We live in a civilizational context where we've decided no guards, right? And people are going crazy. Because we're now at a point where we say, don't take any... Because you basically now need a religious perspective to say, I have to reflect on myself. Because when we tell you to kneel down and pray, right? Yeah, you're reflecting on revelation, but it's you who's doing it, right? What are you doing when you go into confession? You're doing a reflection on yourself, largely a negative reflection on yourself. But the theoretical idea is if you do a healthy negative self-reflection, you'll also do a concomitant positive self-reflection, right? And... If I've grown up in a context that teaches me that, as I integrate myself, as I become self-aware, 
and self-actualized. Those of you who have older kids, you probably have watched your kids do this. Watch how radically similar they are and how radically different they are. Why is one interested in this and the other one interested in that? And so on and so forth. But in that context, is they're going, what we try to do is build human communities that help people integrate that knowledge of the self so that it does, it does flow out in love, right? It has a positive communitarian reality. Part of it is didactic. Do this, don't do that. We all know the duper things are relational. So knowing that you are ultimately loved by your parents helps you to more easily understand that you're ultimately loved by God. Because here are people that have power over you that love you. So you can more easily understand that there's a being that has infinite power of you that also loves you. That you have parents who help you understand when you do evil, there is a consequence for that. Like, sin, right? Call it disobeying the rules or misbehaving or whatever you want to say, right? Sin within your family has a consequence, but that consequence has, there's still love. It doesn't delete love, right? So when baby Jill or whatever steals cookies, she has to stand in the corner because she did something she knows is wrong. She sinned within the family context. She had to hear the consequence from that. But that consequence was not there to shame her, to take her value away, to make her feel less than. Or Does that make sense, what I'm trying to say? All right. And that, of course, is that's concomitant with Christian revelation. Right? It's straight up with, I've sinned, I need to tell God that I've sinned, but not because God hates me. So that, now again, human beings are not defined by their family relationships. Right? Now, if you grow up in a family where love is not clearly present, you can still know that God loves you, of course very likely you will have to go through some struggle to do that. Right? Obviously, well, when I was at the university, I saw this full-throated, right? If marriage is meant to be this reality, this, icon, this Trinitarian icon, these two persons who are in utter unity that bring forth life and that are utterly united no matter what, if that breaks, right, then the highest icon of trust that you have is fractured. Now, it's not the end of the world. It's not that if you have children of divorce, you're all, it's not that. It's not that you're, right? There is redemption. Of course there is, right? But what's one of the hardest things? Those kids had a hard time trusting had a hard time believing that there's a God that loves them no matter what. Right? An impossible time? No, 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 no. I don't, so I don't want to get... But that's the point of trying to forge these healthy communities. That's the point of buying me healthily self-reflective. Now, I'll leave with my theoretic point. My theoretic point, I don't think it's that radical of a theory, is we live in a radically anti-human time of, of life. So much of humanity has crammed itself into cities 
I won't rant and rave about cities right now, right? Jesus hates cities. Everything that bad that happens to Jesus happens to him in a city. Note that. Read that in the Bible, all right? So Jesus does not like the cities either. And once he resurrects, he gets out in the country as soon as possible. Right? Though the first mass wasn't a city, so we've got to give some credit for that. Anyways. So the radical urbanization of the human family, so the radical detachment from the land from which human beings come. The radical commercialization that you are made, whether you want to or not, to be fundamentally a consumer rather than fundamentally a producer. And really, you can't hardly help it. I mean, even the farmer is in this kind of state because the farmer only radically produces one, maybe two things. The rest, to exist, he has to be a radical consumer. So there's really very, very, very few human beings on the face of the earth left anymore who are producers rather than consumers, or even, frankly, run in 50. You can't, do, you can't do it. In America, you can't do it. People can give a good effort and try to get more oriented, but functionally speaking, you cannot do it. So you've got this situation, right? We create structures of economy that make it incredibly difficult to be a single-parent income family. It can be done, but you have to live very different from your average person if that's what you want. If you have children to be a single income family, is so right. It's it's a radical separation of parents and children. I won't even get into school. All right, COVID was so fascinating. The number of moms who came to me who said. Father Eric, I'm terrified because with all this COVID, I realized I like having my kids around. I don't want to send them back to school because they had this awareness. Seeing my kids all day was better than seeing them waking-wise maybe two, maybe three hours a day. It started to click in their mind. Something's off here. So we're trying to live this radical understanding of humanity in a radically anti-human, right? That gives, that gives rise to that theoretic. We have to have less people. Like, in order to save existence, we have to have less people. That people themselves, right? That's we get into an ethic where people themselves, not how people act, not how human societies act, not how we live our lives, none of that gets questioned. It's people themselves have to go away. And there is no radical self-understanding. There is no reflecting on the self. There's the making of the self. You don't discover who you are. You make who you are. That's a, that's a principally American fault. We took this massive geographic territory and covered it, civilization speaking, in no time flat and asked no questions, no quarter asked for, none given. This is ours, we take it, we do what we want. And if your family is in Massachusetts and the other half of it is in California, that's just the way it is. So the radical division of human community, so on and so forth. So it's not good. And we're trying to live that identity within it. So that's why Within our own communities, we have to start radically building this. I'm getting sermonistic. That's getting off topic. 
We remember the essential. Don't forget the triangle. (laughs) Your ability to hold concepts. Like, that's the fundamental thing, though. Understand that. Like, your ability to reflect on yourself. Overcome the malevolence in your life. The bad things done to you by others, by situations, by whatever. And to not be swallowed up by that. To overcome the malevolence you do to yourself, our faults, our vices, our bad habits. That in Christ, those things are radically redeemed and elevated. And even a very simple, ordinary person. And one of the best things about our civilization is the totality of human knowledge is super easy to get at. Books are super cheap. The internet lets you know everything, good and bad. But you can, all the good, too. I mean, everything that's good is there. And your ability to accent your self-reflection is tremendous. That's the really positive part of all of this. Okay. Any questions from that little rant and rave? You're great. In the name of the Father, and the Son, of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a beautiful night, everyone.